You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to The Corbett Report podcast. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan here on the fourth day of June 2021. And you are tuned in to episode 402 of the Corbett Report podcast, your guide to the great convergence. So here we are in June of 2021. And as we sit here a year and a half into this generated health crisis, I think only the dopiest of mainstream normies still believe that this is fundamentally about some spreading novel coronavirus. And assuming they are even opposed to the biosecurity agenda that is rolling out uh, ahead of them, they may still be trapped within the paradigm of trying to argue about infection numbers and the relative efficacy or inefficacy of various interventions proposed by the would-be public health authorities. But I think we all understand by this point, if you're watching the Corbett Report, that this is not about a virus, and this is not going to be mitigated by making rational arguments and carefully prepared charts and PowerPoint slides about, well, the the mask mandates seem to have no effect, so I don't understand why these politicians continue to persist with their failed interventions. No, I think we've all progressed beyond that point, haven't we? I certainly hope so. Um, If not, get up to speed. Um, With the reality of what's going on, and the first order of that reality, which I am sure that my audience is aware of and on board with right now, is that this, of course, is about the Corona World Order and the COVID-9-11 biosecurity state implementation that I've been talking about for a year and a half now and documenting in various podcasts and articles and interviews, textually, visually, and in audio form over the past year and a half. Namely, the implementation of a medical martial law system presided over by unappointed, unelected, unaccountable public health authorities who now have literal control over your everyday movements, who are constructing a total surveillance grid that comes with it the prospect of not just vaccine passports, but health passes generally, um, which will be used to restrict your ability to access public life. Uh, and that you will be guilty until proven innocent of infection under this new paradigm that is being installed. Again, I would like to think that my audience is already caught up to speed on that, but if not, please check the show notes for some links to various podcasts that hopefully will fill you in on those details. But as familiar as I hope you are about that, there is, of course, an even deeper level to this, because it is not just about the implementation of the biosecurity state in particular. It is how the implementation of the biosecurity state is being used to forward a greater agenda. And in that context, again, probably by this point, many of my audience will at least be familiar in broad outline with the World Economic Forum's attempt at branding this agenda the Great Reset, and will hopefully, uh, like hundreds of thousands of others, have seen or listened to my podcast on Your Guide to the Great Reset, where I went through that 
and started to broach the topic of the fourth industrial revolution and some of the larger impl implications of what is being instituted right now during this precedent-setting event. Even so, I fear there are far, far, far too few who understand what this long-term agenda is really about. Again, it is, of course, not about some spreading novel coronavirus. It is not even about the implementation of a biosecurity state. It is about how that biosecurity state will be used as a stepping stone towards what is being envisioned and even openly touted as the extinction of Homo sapiens, the end of humanity. I am not being hyperbolic. I do not make hyperbolic, hyperventilating statements of that sort without specific documents to back them up. So today, we are going to be exploring this part of the agenda, which, you'll forgive me for thinking, is perhaps the most important thing that we, as human beings, could possibly be concentrating on at this moment of crisis. I know that it is very tempting to get sucked into the various arguments that are going on right now with regards to various aspects of this health scare that is being used to bring about all of this long, longer-term plan, but I think we have to have an understanding of the longer-term plan, who is helping to forward it, and what its end goals are in order to even begin to enter the the playing field, the battle space of this war, the war for the future of the human species. Once again, this is not hyperbolic. This is a plain statement of fact, which we will get into today. Now, I would like to say that, again, my audience should be prepared for this conversation because I have been talking about the broad outlines of this very broad, long-term agenda since the very inception of the Corbett Report, but I have been specifically talking about it with regards to the current corona crisis uh, for at least the past year, where you will recall, hopefully, last June, I covered Looking Forward to the End of Humanity on Propaganda Watch. And at that time, we were looking at a Wall Street Journal op-ed that was published under that a very title, Looking Forward to the End of Humanity, that talked about this agenda and how it relates to the ginned-up scare that we are living through right now. And in that article, you will recall, it says, People have always feared death and dreamed of escaping it. But until now, that hope has been formulated in religious terms. Transhumanism promises that death can be conquered physically, not just spiritually. And the movement has the support of people with the financial resources to make it happen, if anyone can. Jeff Bezos, Peter Thiel, and Elon Musk are among the Silicon Valley moguls who have invested in life extension research. In 2013, Google entered the field by launching the biotech firm Calico, short for California Life Company. Transhumanists envision several possible avenues to immortality. Nanorobots could live inside our cells and constantly repair damage, halting aging in its tracks. Genetic engineering could eliminate the mechanisms that cause us to age in the first place. Such technologies are still out of reach, but transhumanists believe we will be able to master them sooner than most people think, with the help of superpowered artificial intelligence. Ultimately, however, the hope is that we won't just use computers, we'll become them. 
Today, cognitive scientists often compare the brain to hardware and the mind to the software that runs on it. But a software program is just information, and in principle, there's no reason why the information of consciousness has to be encoded in neurons. Hmm. So, let me get this straight. The human body is essentially a computer, computer hardware that itself, of course, can be upgraded like any computer hardware can. And the various systems that run on that hardware, the, the software, uh, can, like any software, be reprogrammed and repurposed to make that computer do things differently. Hmm, where have I heard this analogy before? As I've trained as a physician scientist, we've been living this phenomenal digital and scientific revolution. And I'm here today to tell you that we're actually hacking the software of life and that it's changing the way we think about prevention and treatment of disease. Oh, that's right. Tal Zaks, the chief medical officer of Moderna, at his TED Talk in 2017, touting Moderna's official company tagline that they are hacking the software of life. That's where I heard the computer-slash-human metaphor before. And unfortunately for all of us, researchers like Talzax and others are not just taking that as a metaphor. They are trying to literalize that metaphor to actually make it happen. Now, here's the thing that really boggles the mind about this. Here we have what is not just self-evidently, but admittedly an existential threat to the human species. We are talking about fundamentally changing humans at an, such a basic level that they are no longer categorized as homo sapiens. Again, I am not saying that, but as we shall see, documents that are being produced at the governmental level are saying that openly, and yet hardly anyone is talking about this. Why is that? Unfortunately, as with so many other things, I think this is primarily a problem of branding. Because you may recall, for example, that last year I re-released my 2008 podcast on transhumanism and you. Brock West updated it and made it into a video podcast and we re-released it. But you may not, because unfortunately, transhumanism is such a dry and stuffy and technical sounding phrase that doesn't seem to connect in to the very real biological, biosecurity, biofascist state that's coming into view in any, in any seemingly logical way. So it generally goes over people's heads and people don't spend too much time thinking about it. Uh, but it is very, very, very much connected to the biofascist technocratic control grid. In fact, in retrospect, of course, this is exactly the type of crisis that is needed to push through the necessary modifications of the software of life and the entire framing of this uh, of this concept and this idea. This is exactly the type of crisis that was needed to push this through in a thoroughgoing way, as we shall see. So, if this is a problem of branding, I suppose we need to come up with a better rebranding of this so people understand what is happening and actually latch onto it. And in the spirit of 
a document that we're going to be looking at, perhaps we could call it biodigital convergence. That is a term that is now ad- entered into the lexicon, at least at the governmental and uh, future trends predicting level of various globalist organizations. So that is actually a technical term that can be useful in your searching for more information about this topic. But perhaps we need something snappier for the average Joe Sixpack and Jane Soccer Mom to catch on to. And if the Great Reset was such a powerful and apparently successful rebrand of the New World Order for the World Economic Forum Jet Set crowd, then perhaps we can piggyback on that and call this the Great Convergence. And perhaps that will at least trigger some curiosity in people so that they start looking into this existential threat to humanity. If so, then, well, glad glad you could join me for today's exploration. It's a particularly important one. And if you are not familiar with the term of biodigital convergence, then I would wholeheartedly suggest you check into some of my recent work on this topic, where I've been talking about an important document called Exploring Biodigital Convergence um, by a Government of Canada-affiliated institution called Policy Horizons Canada. And I've talked about this uh, a couple of times. I've mentioned it in several interviews now, and I have most notably covered it in my article on the subject, Biodigital Convergence Bombshell Document reveals the true agenda, so I will direct your attention there if you haven't yet read that exploration. Um, And I am going to go through that document today because, again, I tend to think this is perhaps the most important issue facing humanity at this time. Um, But please hang on with me, even if you have already encountered this, read my article, seen the, the, uh, the source document itself, please hang on because Today, I'm going to go through it and flesh out some of the missing context of this document, provide extra details, and see how it connects into an entire body of scientific thought and literature that has existed before this document came together. So we will be getting into much greater detail today, but I guess to set the table for people who are not familiar with this at all, we, I suppose, should at least understand something about this this document in particular, Exploring Biodigital Convergence in this Policy Horizons Canada from which it is coming. Um, And if you are like pretty much every other Canadian on the planet, let alone every person on the planet, you will never have heard of Policy Horizons Canada. So going to their About Us uh, page on their website, you can learn that we are a federal government organization that conducts foresight Our mandate is to help the government of Canada develop future-oriented policy and programs that are more robust and resilient in the face of disruptive change on the horizon. To fulfill our mandate, we analyze the emerging policy landscape, the challenges that lie ahead, and the opportunities opening up. Engage in conversations with public servants and citizens about forward-looking research to inform their understanding and decision-making and build foresight literacy and capacity across the public service. We produce content that may attract academic, public, and international attention and do not publish commentary on policy decisions of the government. Blah, blah, blah. You can continue reading that type of blather on their site, and you can read about their history and how they developed from the policy research secretariat in the Privy Council office in 1996 and onwards how they morphed into various forms before assuming their final form, presumably, of Policy Horizons Canada. But for the purposes of today, we are specifically concerned about a paper that they released in February of 2020 that obviously was being prepared before that point. 
namely exploring biodigital convergence. And I will note that I think it is important to note that this paper was released before the true COVID pandemonium really kicked off, at least in the West, and obviously was written, prepared, researched, thought about well in advance of this current crisis that we are living through. So it is extremely interesting in that context, given what it is talking about and the types of things that it's mentioning. So what is this document? What does it talk about? What what themes, what ideas, what does it swirl around? What is the main gist of this article? Well, luckily, you don't have to listen to my summarization of it. We can take it directly from the horse's mouth. That's right, Policy Horizons Canada. Of course, they have a GooTube channel on which, I guess to to announce the release of this document, they released this handy-dandy guide to the document and what it is talking about. So, without further ado, I present to you unedited Exploring Biodigital Convergence, the video from Policy Horizons Canada. This should clear up any questions. And yet again, I am compelled to note that, no, I didn't make that up. That is literally the video that Policy Horizons Canada posted to their official GooTube page in conjunction with the release of this report. Yes, that is the Exploring Biodigital Convergence video that was released to announce this report, I suppose. (laughs) If you are driving around or engaged in your daily activities listening to the audio version of this podcast... I will recommend that you go to CorbettReport.com slash Convergence later on when you're at your device in order to look in the show notes and look up that video just so you can see how ridiculous that is as whatever that is intended to be. <laughs> I guess that will announce this report to the world with those those trumpet blasts as if from the heavens. Anyway, in true Government of Canada style, don't worry, the Francophones are not left out of this. There is a French version of that video that is also available from the (laughs) Policy Horizons Canada YouTube page. So if you're a French speaker that was confused by that video, don't worry. They've made one just for you as well. (laughs) Although I am a little a bit disheartened to note that as at the time that I am recording this, uh, this podcast, there is only zero thumbs up and 18 thumbs down on that video that has now over 1,000 views, probably most of which have occurred in the past few weeks, as people like myself and a few others in the independent media have pointed to this report. But uh, we can do better than that, can't we, Corbett gang? Anyway, uh, so let's get into the document itself, shall we? And so we're going to turn to exploring biodigital convergence from Archive today, not from the Policy Horizons Canada website. You can get it from there, of course, but as usual, I will include the link to the archived version of this article so we don't give them any of our traffic and so that they can't tinker or change anything um, along the way. This is a snapshot of the article as it existed about a month ago. And here it is. Uh, The first thing you will notice about this document after you scan through the table of contents is the foreword. Here we alight upon the smugly smirking face of Crystal Vanderelst, the Director General of Policy Horizons Canada, who wrote the foreword to this document, which is 
worth reading because it, once again, I want to stress, this is not me talking about the extinction of humanity. It is people like Crystal Vander Elst and Policy Horizons Canada. So in this forward, it says, in the coming years, bio-digital technologies could be woven into our lives in the way that digital technologies are now. Biological and digital systems are converging and could change the way we work, live, and even evolve as a species. More than a technological change, this biodigital convergence may transform the way we understand ourselves and cause us to redefine what we consider human or natural. Please reread that sentence as many times as it takes for the real importance of that idea to sink in. More than a technological change, this biodigital convergence may transform the way we understand ourselves and cause us to redefine what we consider human or natural. Yes, what we consider to be human is going to be redefined for us. Of course, you don't get a say in this. It's the technology that's doing it, or more to the point, the people who are creating those technologies, or even more to the point, the people who are steering this agenda, like the Crystal Vander Elsts and others who are steering us toward this biodigital convergence. I don't want to aggrandize this particular toady, this gopher, for this agenda, or make her out to be more than what she is, but she represents, I think, the larger agenda that's taking place and who and what is behind it. And so it goes on to talk about profoundly infecting our economy, our ecosystems and our society and blah, blah, blah. And we, we welcome your comments and participation, etc., etc. So Crystal Vanderels, let's just start there. Okay, this is the Director General of Policy Horizons Canada who's written the foreword to this document. Who is Crystal Vanderels? Where does she come from? How did she become the director general of this Government of Canada think tank? Well, remember back in episode 398, Science Says, where we took a look at Dr. Lena Wen going on CNN talking about how you can't open up just willy-nilly without people getting vaccinated first. No, you have to tie people's freedoms to their vaccination status. That's the carrot and stick that we can use, blah, blah, blah. Remember, and remember when we looked up, I wonder where where this Lena Wen comes from and what her credentials are. And we turn to the World Economic Forum, of course, because of course her biography is going to be there. And we went through the bingo card of globalist institutions that she is uh, related to. Bingo. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Well, I wonder. Crystal Vanderelst. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, we don't have to wonder very hard. Yes, of course. Crystal Vanderelst connected into the World Economic Forum. Specifically, Crystal Vanderelst is CEO of the Global Foresight Group, Director General at Policy Horizons Canada, Special Advisor to European Commission Vice President Maros Sefcovic, and a Fellow at the Center for Strategic Foresight of the U.S. Government Accountability Office. So very much international background. She is a visiting professor at the College of Europe and the former Head of Strategic Foresight at the World Economic Forum. Etc. Etc. Crystal, twenty years experience. Da 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 da. Holds an MBA. Etc. Etc. Fulbright Scholar and a Rotary Foundation Ambassadorial Scholar. Again, bingo. I think we see she ticks every box imaginable. Um, so this is the background of the person who's at least steering this overall um, policy horizons Canada. 
if not this particular document, but she is introducing it and telling us we're going to start redefining what we consider human or natural. What does that mean? What is biodigital convergence? Well, of course, they're going to summarize it for us here in the summary, where they talk about digital digital age and the challenges and changes, etc., etc. And then it goes on to say, digital technologies and biological systems are beginning to combine and merge in ways that could be profoundly disruptive to our assumptions about society, the economy, and our bodies. We call this the biodigital convergence. So that's what they're talking about, the merging, the combining and merging of digital technologies and biological systems. And they specifically look at three ways biodigital convergence is emerging. The full physical integration of biological and digital entities. Read that again, full physical integration of biological and digital entities. The co-evolution of biological and digital entities technologies and the conceptual convergence of biological and digital systems. What does that mean? What are they actually talking about here? Well, they're talking about such things as changing human beings, of course, our bodies, minds, and behaviors, changing and creating other organisms. Yes, creating organisms. Alter ecosystems, sense, store, process, and transmit information, manage biological innovation, and structure and manage production and supply chains. And then possible characteristics of these systems, democratization, of course, Uh, decentralization, yes, of course, this is all about decentralization, guys, geographic diffusion, scalability, customization, reliance on data. Hmm. Uh, And then policy-relevant questions, you know, could this uh, resource-based competitive advantage fade in the wake of this? Would education and training systems need to be adapted? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, by the way, guys, this is the end of the human species, but here's how it may affect the policy decisions of the government. Yeah. And then talking about social attitude shifting, environmental changes, geopolitical, and governance. Getting more down into the meat and potatoes and fleshing out those three different... um, trends of biodigital convergence. One, the full physical integration of biological and digital entities, noting that digital technology can be embedded in organisms and biological components can exist as part of digital technologies. The physical meshing, manipulating, and merging of the biological and digital are creating new hybrid forms of life and technology, each functioning in the tangible world, often with heightened capabilities. Yes, new hybrid forms of life and technology, and they give some examples of that type of technology, which already exists, and this is a footnoted document. They have the links to the various things they're talking about, the computer and brain-machine interfaces, uh, the medical use of digital devices and humans, manipulated insects such as drone dragonflies and surveillance locusts, uh, locusts, etc. Then it talks about the co-evolution of biological and digital technologies, this type of biodigital convergence emerges when advances in one domain generate major advances in the other. So the coevolution of biological and digital sciences and technologies enables progress in each domain that would be otherwise impossible. And this could lead to biological and digital technologies that are developed as integrated or complementary systems. 
and they talk about complex living systems are increasingly subject to examination and understanding by digital tools and applications. This deeper understanding means that biology is subject to influence and manipulation that was not possible a few years ago. They go on to talk about gene sequencing and, of course, CRISPR-Cas9, which James Evan Pilato and I have covered in great detail about uh, in New World Next Week, etc. over the years. Uh, we also see a greater understanding of biology, which is fueling progress in the field of biological computing. Um, they talk about blurring between what is considered natural or organic and what is digital engineered or synthetic. For example, biosynthetic vanilla is created using ferulic acid, eugenol, and glucose as substrates and bacteria, fungi, and yeasts as microbi microbial production hosts. Although it does not come from a vanilla plant, under both U.S. and E.U. food legislation, its production from microbial transformations of natural precursors allow it to be labeled as natural flavoring. And please understand, that is just the one specific example of how this is already taking place that they're offering here. But one does not have to imagine very far how that process can be extended out from here with ever more sophisticated technologies for producing biosynthetic materials that will then be legislatively decreed to be the same thing. I can't believe it's not butter. I can't believe it's not human, etc. And then it talks about the conceptual convergence of biological and digital systems, which is an extremely important part of this, and in fact, perhaps gives the game away. A third form of biodigital convergence involves a shift in perspective that could reshape our framing and approach to biological and digital realms, facilitating the blending of the two. And then it goes on to say, as we continue to better understand and control the mechanisms that underlie biology, we could see a shift away from vitalism, the idea that living and non-living organisms are fundamentally different because they are thought to be governed by different principles. And yes, you can read more about vitalism. Vitalists hold that living organisms are fundamentally different from non-living entities because they contain some non-physical element or are governed by different principles than are inanimate things. And you can read about the this philosophy and its history, but recognize what this is saying. If we do see this predicted shift away from vitalism, what does that mean? It means that once again, they are trying to literalize the metaphor of the software of life running on our operating system in our genome and all of this type of metaphor that is being applied. No, no, they do not mean it as a metaphor. They are literally trying to say that we are biological computers and we can and will be reprogrammed. You are nothing other than the matter that makes up your body and that can be changed and manipulated in any way and there's no, there's no line to be crossed. There's nothing fundamentally wrong. There is no even right or wrong when it comes to, say, creating these weird chimera species, half pig, half human, whatever. Nothing. There is no line whatsoever. You are simply a collection of matter that can be manipulated. You are a biological robot. Well, why not just make you into a real robot or cyborg of some, some kind, at least as a, as a medium step? towards that future. Um, again, it's, it's all embodied right here. The shift away from vitalism is exactly the underlying pinning ideology of this. So it's the anti-vitalism that is at the heart of transhumanism or biodigital convergence or whatever label you want to put on, of the, uh, on this. And so then 
They go on to say, we see a potential shift in the opposite direction. Computing began as a means of predicting, uh, producing predictable replicable and relatively simple outcomes. As digital technology becomes more complex and connected, the system began to mimic the characteristics of the biological world, leading to the notion of technological ecosystems. And, I mean, for the Hollywood predictive programming sort of image of this that everyone will have in their minds, it's it's that idea of technology eventually being... um, developed and designed to mimic nature in various ways and think of the uh, the robot octopus-like things in the matrix that are swimming through as if they're biological beings, but of course they're just robots or that sort of thing that you've seen in any number of movies. So this is what we're talking about. And for some reason, they decide to go through it all again, full physical integration, co-evolution and conceptual convergence. So that's what they're talking about. And then they talk about why explore it now and of course you know because of technological um, upgrades and things that are happening and blah 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 not important all right good morning bio digital this is where things start to get just creepy because here in this again this government of canada or at least this government of canada subsection um policy horizons canada producing this work of fiction a fictional account of what a daily routine might look like in this biodigital future that we are goose-stepping into. Many factors could affect how biodigital uh, bio convergence technologies could impact different societies, countries, cultures, environments, and people around the globe. The following is one of many possible narratives depicting some of the innovations in a future biodigital world. So let's let's read through this piece of amateurish creative writing, shall we? I wake up to the sunlight and salty coastal air of the Adriatic Sea. I don't live anywhere near the Mediterranean, but my AI, which is also my health advisor, has prescribed a specific air quality, scent, and solar intensity to manage my energy levels in the morning, and has programmed my bedroom to mimic this climate. The fresh bedsheet sheets grown in my building from regenerating fungi are better than I imagined. I feel rested and ready for the day. I need to check a few things before I get up. I send a brain message to open the app that control I send a brain message to open the app that controls my insulin levels and make sure my pancreas is optimally supported. I can't imagine having to inject myself with needles like my mother did when she was a child. Now it's a microbe transplant that auto-adjusts and reports on my levels. Everything looks alright, so I check my brain's digital interface to read the dream data that was recorded and processed in real time last night. My therapy app analyzes the emotional responses I expressed while I slept. It suggests I take time to be in nature this week to reflect on my recurring trapped-in-a-box dream and enhance helpful subconscious neural activity. My my AI recommends a forest day. I think, okay, and my, my AI and neural implant do the rest. The summary of my bugbot surveillance footage shows that my apartment was safe from intruders, including other bugbots last night, but it does notify me that my herd of little cyber dragonflies are hungry. They've been working hard collecting data and monitoring the outside environment all night, but the number of mosquitoes and lime-carrying ticks they normally hunt... Lime-carrying ticks? I wonder where they came from. They normally hunt to replenish their energy with 
smaller than expected. With a thought, I ordered some nutrient support for them. My, feel hit, my feet hit the regenerative, regenerative carpet, and I grab a bathrobe, although I don't need it for warmth. My apartment is gradually warming up to a comfortable 22 degrees as it cycles through a constantly shifting daily routine that keeps me in balance with the time of day and season. Building codes and home energy infrastructure are synchronized and require all homes to be auto-regulated for efficiency. Because houses and buildings are biomimetic and incorporate living systems for climate control wherever possible, they are continuously filtering the air and capturing carbon. I check my carbon offset measure to see how much credit I will receive for my home's contribution to the government's climate change mitigation program. As I head to the bathroom, I pause at the window to check the accelerated growth of the neighboring building. Biological architecture has reached new heights and the synthetic tree compounds are growing taller each day. To ensure that the building can withstand even the strongest winds and to reduce swaying for residences on the top floors, a robotic 3D printer is clambering around the emerging structure and adding carbon-reinforced biopolymer, strengthening critical stress points identified by its AI-supported sensor array. I am glad they decided to tree the roof of this building with fire-resistant genetically modified red cedar since urban forest fires have become a concern. Yes, I, for one, welcome our new AI gene-modifying overlords. While I'm brushing my teeth, Jamie, my personal AI, asks if I'd like a delivery drone to come pick up my daughter's baby tooth, which fell out two days ago. Yes, just leave your daughter's baby tooth lying around for a couple days. The delivery drone will take care of it. The epigenetic markers in children's teeth have to be analyzed and cataloged half to be analyzed and cataloged on our family genetic blockchain in order to qualify for the open health rebate. So I need that done today. I replace the smart sticker that monitors my blood chemistry, lymphatic system, and organ functions in real time. It's hard to imagine the costs and suffering that people must have endured before personalized preventative medicine became common. Also, I'll admit that it sounds gross, but it's a good thing the municipality samples our fecal matter from the sewage pipes. It's part of the platform to analyze data on nutritional diversity, gut bacteria, and antibiotic use to aid with public health screening and fight antibiotic-resistant strains of bacterial infections. Supposedly, the next download for my smart sink will allow me to choose a personalized biotic mix for my dechlorinated drinking water. Today's microbiome breakdown is displayed on the front of my fit fridge as I enter the kitchen. It's tracking a steady shift as I approach middle age. Today it suggests miso soup as part of my breakfast because my biome needs more diversity as a result of recent stress and not eating well last night. Okay, uh, anyway, please go on and read the remaining paragraphs there. Um, but uh, they do at least seem to demonstrate some self-awareness about this passage. They say, This story may sound far-fetched. However, all the technologies mentioned exist in some form today. While they're not yet commercially available in the form presented here, a world where we take the interaction between biological and digital technologies for granted is already starting to emerge. While this is a representation of technologies that could be part of a biodigital world, it does not represent the only future. Rather, it is an imaginative vignette outlining the radical shifts that could take place with an optimistic biodigital future. Varying levels of access, adoption, and alternative realities could exist. Optimistic. Is that really the word that strikes anyone when reading through this nightmare 
of a story of a potential future. But, you know, I mean, your your access may vary. Your, your mileage may vary with this story. But here it is. This is the day in the life in the biodigital convergence future, where I, I think it is implicit everywhere in that passage, the fundamental question that is being posed by every single thing that is presented there is, where is that line between where, where do I end and these digital technologies begin? Of course, they're trying to say, well, it's all this kind of fluid system. You are now part of this biodigital ecosystem that all exists together, and it only works if we're all in it together. That's why you need the bug bot surveillance drones that are surveilling every part of your apartment and what's going on in the environment outside. And of course, you need the internal sensors and monitors that are looking at your own your own gut bacteria and everything else, including, of course, what you're dreaming and uh, your, your psychological states. It's all part of this just big 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 data. It's this collection of everything that can then be managed as this codependent biodigital system, and you are just a part of that system. You aren't an individual entity. You're certainly, I mean, vitalism is already gone, as we've seen, so you're certainly not. There's nothing special about you. Your life has no meaning as life. You are just animate matter, as opposed to inanimate matter. It's all the same, really. Can't you see? All of these things are just the same. And everything is just this biodigital complex. Isn't it a wonderful world that's coming into view? How optimistic. Well, I, I don't know. I reach another point of impasse. If you do not see the nightmare of that scenario, then I really wouldn't know how to explain it to you. If you want to see yourself in that future, I suppose there are a couple of things to note. Well, if it's all voluntary... And if the people who are participating in those biodigital technologies are doing so willingly and voluntarily, I mean, that's a good thing, right? And yeah, of course, there will be carrots and sticks, speaking of the Dr. Lena Wins of the world. Yeah, and of course, in order to qualify for a health rebate, I mean, you will have to be checking every part of your, your biome and monitoring your fecal matter and everything else to, you know, so that we know everything about you down to the genomic level, of course, so that we can better understand your... I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll take your children's teeth so that we can examine epigenetic markers and other such things. This is the biodigital convergence future. This is what they want it to look like, optimistically. <sighs> Going further on in this document, they talk about what types of new capabilities are arising with this biodigital convergence. And here, again, they lay it out in black and white. Change human beings, our bodies, minds, and behaviors. Yes, change or create other organisms. Yes, again, talking about creating synthetic organisms, synthetic life, which is, as we know, just the same as, as normal flesh and blood human beings. It's all the same. It's all just matter. That's all it is. Alter ecosystems, sense, store, process, and transmit information, manage biological innovation and structure and manage production and supply chains. See, it's just, I mean, all of these things just kind of blend together, don't they? And it's all, it's, it's just so inevitable. Well, then they talk and they give some tables where they, they show the uh, new capabilities produced by the convergence of digital and bio biological domains. So what new capabilities are opening up? what combinations of biological and digital technologies allow this, and what is possible today. So, for example, with the altering of the human genome, our core biological attributes and characteristics, 
We have advances in gene sequencing and editing such as CRISPR-Cas9. And machine learning helps scientists predict which genes to target for editing. And we can talk about the world's first babies to have their genome edited or born in China. As if this is something that should be touted. It was a major scandal at the time, but now it's just, well, it's just something that happened. Molecular biology enhanced by tools from computer science. So they go on and talk about a number of these things, all of which I'm sure are worth looking at uh, in much greater detail. We could probably do entire podcast episodes on every single one of these points. But anyway, new ways to store, sense, uh, process information, new ways to manage innovation. So they go through all of those points. And then they talk about what are possible characteristics of the biodigital system. Democratization, decentralization, geographic diffusion, scalability, customization, and reliance on data. Well, that sounds mostly positive, doesn't it? So, of course, under democratization, until recently, cell biology and biotechnology were generally developed and produced in sterile labs and specialized factories using expensive equipment and expertise. But now, advances in software and hardware are removing these restrictions on bio, biosciences and biotech production. Hey, isn't this exactly, and I mean exactly, nearly word for word with just the key vocabulary swapped out, what we were hearing about the information super high, highway 25 years ago? And this was going to democratize everyone, everything. And now everyone can, everyone can be a journalist and everyone can share information and everyone can participate. Oh, wait, no, people are actually sharing information and participating. Quick, censor, censor, censor. This is exactly the same hype that preceded what we have seen. Uh, the, the crest of the hype over the past couple of decades and the dashing upon the shores of reality that we've seen in the past few years especially um decentralization hey isn't this what james is always talking about this is what he likes right we may see more decentralized production as the capabilities of synthetic biology increase products that needed to be created or extracted in a specific geographical location could be produced more widely as humans get better at assembling or growing organic and non-organic compounds through faster cheaper and customized chemical and biological processes exactly right so for example, you know, 3D printing, as I've talked about before, is this remarkable technology that, at least potentially, as it develops, could, yes, greatly decentralize production of, well, non-organic matter, of course, organic matter, oh yeah, of course, bioprinting and that sort of thing. Oh, it'll, again, democratize it. And uh, 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 again, uh, let me stress that one of the inevitable problem reaction solutions here. This great decentralization of these technologies and now everyone can bioprint on their desktop and all of this kind of stuff is all coming, guys, which will inevitably lead to the, oh my God, these bioterrorists are, are, are engineering never before seen toxins that are completely synthetic and completely destroy the human race. And it can be printed in a, at a home lab for $50 or something. Oh my God. Well, we'll have to crack down on this. And that means we'll have to control and centralize control of every single one of these, uh, these bioprinters and other types of technologies that are coming along. Because if we don't surveil what everyone is doing, someone could release the gray goo of the gray goo scenario, the, the whatever substance that ends up destroying all life on the planet. Well, we can't allow that. So actually this decentralization will lead to complete centralization, but that's a bit further down the problem reaction solution paradigm. Um, for right now, they're talking about the ability to create food and engineer meat 
without the need for arable land. Lab-grown meat, cells that develop to produce muscle cells and cultured meat in a monitored environment could be a game-changer in decentralizing multiple industries from farming to shipping. Again, exactly 100% a lie, because lab-grown meat and other uh, other pro- food products is, in fact, a greater centralization of the food supply than even exists now, where there are the handful of seed companies that seemingly completely dominate most of what the human species at this point is eating on a daily basis. Well, in the future, you won't even know. I mean, growing things in the ground or taking actual animals and raising them as livestock? No, no, no. That's so 20th century. That's that's for old fogies. No, 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 no. Now it has to be lab-grown meat. It's better for the environment anyway, isn't it? And do you think you're going to be producing the lab-grown meat at home in your kitchen? Or do you think you're going to be getting it from some big multinational that's producing it in its factories and shipping it to your local food dispensary uh, in this nightmare biodigital um, surveillance grid urban hellhole that is being forwarded in Good Morning Biodigital? Uh, which do you think it will be? I, I have my own thoughts. Um, and then they talk about geographic diffusion, of course, and scalability, customization, etc. Um, what are some initial policy questions? So again, now they start talking about, you know, economics and geopolitics and social constructs and things. As if, again, you know, completely undermining vitalism and the idea that there's anything special to human life and then saying everything's the same so we can absolutely engineer and hack your software of life in any way we want and we will change you as a human being into something that is not a human being but don't worry about any of that it's just what are the economic effects of this guys and what what will be the environmental concerns these are the things we should be dwelling on and then after that uh that section they get into the policy related questions arising could traditional resource-based economic blah 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 i think we've already seen that and finally the conclusion we could be on the cusp of a long-term biodigital transformation of our economy, society, institutions, and environment. This biodigital convergence could disrupt the way we produce and consume goods and services related to one another, maintain and augment our bodies, acquire and process data, make decisions, and manage our place in ecosystems. And then it goes on to talk about in the 70s and early 80s, Canadians and policymakers began to understand that the digital age was upon them. Early movers seized opportunities, perceived challenges, and initiated deft policies that have provided benefits for decades. Now could be the time to make similar investments and make thoughtful decisions to guide Canada through the beginning of a biodigital convergence. Luckily, Policy Horizons is there to look forward to collaborating with partners and stakeholders to develop policy-relevant foresight in this area. Buzzword blather direct from the World Economic Forum. And then, of course, the acknowledgements. And again, there are probably people in here who are worth looking into for their own biographies and the types of people that are working on producing these reports. And then there's the end notes. So that is the, the document. We've just gone through it. And as I say, please go follow the link, read through all of the parts that we've glossed over here. But I think you get the gist of what this biodigital convergence is. And once again... Not my words, this is the words of Crystal Vanderelst. More than a technological change, this biodigital convergence may transform the way we understand ourselves and cause us to redefine what we consider human or natural. They're talking openly about the end of Homo sapiens and the beginning of whatever. This is going to be Homo biodigitalis or whatever. Um, 
there it is. And they're talking about this and they're talking about the various technologies that are already underway to make this happen. And if this is the first time that you are encountering this term, rest assured, those in the know and in the right circles have not only been thinking about this, but openly talking about it for some years now. The important point of this is that genomics and molecular biology have given us a parts list of the, phys of the biological world, just as we had a, a parts list of the physical world. When I arrived at MIT, the then Dean of Engineering, uh, Tom Magnanti, told me that of the 390 faculty in the School of Engineering, daunting just by itself, he said, one third of the faculty in the School of Engineering are using biological components in their work. That kind of surprised me. And I said, yeah, biomedicine. He said, no, 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 it's well beyond biomedicine. And that began to open up what I have come to understand as a third revolution in biology, which is the convergence of biology with engineering. Biology now has a parts list, and engineers, according to Dean Magnanti, are picking up that parts list and using them to build new things. That was Susan Hockfield the former president of MIT and someone whose credentials, again, reads like a globalist bingo card, not only the former president of MIT, but a uh, someone who's been at the top of a number of different companies and institutions, and who has recently written a book on the age of living machines, how biology will build the new technology revolution. Um, and that lecture that we just watched was just a clip from a lecture she was giving in support of that book where she was talking about the third revolution in modern biology, namely the convergence of biology and engineering, which is rather apropos to our subject. I will confess I have not yet read her book about the age of living machines, but since it is highly relevant to this, I think, highly relevant topic, rest assured I will be reading it in the very near future. But, uh... Let, I just use that as a by way of illustration of letting people know, as most people who are not in the academic ivory tower will not know, that this subject of bio, biological and digital systems merging and converging, uh, that has been in the lexicon and has been talked about and studied and philosophized over for years now in academic circles. And it is important to know that these unfortunately are not just eggheads ruminating in their ivory towers. These include the MIT engineers who are actively constructing various ways of making this convergence happen. So let's dive a little bit further into this. Again, I want to flesh out the context and let people know that this is a topic that is very much in vogue right now with researchers. And as I will offer by way of example an article from January of this year from the pages of Post-Digital Science and Education called Bio-Digital Philosophy, Technological Convergence, and Post-Digital Knowledge Ecologies, which talks about bio-digitalism, bio-informationalism, and bio-digital convergence. And it talks, uh, it defines some of these terms. For example, bio-informationalism draws a close association between viral biology on the one hand and information science on the other, to critically discuss the parallel structures of epidemics and infodemics and the nature of conspiracy in a post-truth world. I've been talking about infodemics since the beginning of this ginned up crisis and the WHO's employment of that term. Um, I, I think quite obviously following on from their Event 201 discussions and talking about flooding the zone and what have you, they've talked about the infodemic of misinformation surrounding COVID-19 since the very beginning of this crisis. And... Um, 
And for anyone for whom that description of bioinformationalism sounds familiar, yes, go back to my going viral episode in January of 2020. It was exactly along those lines, drawing that parallel between viral biology on the one hand and information science on the other, talking about the way memetics are used to make information go viral. It's not a new observation, but it is an increasingly important one in this age, isn't it? And they talk about biodigitalism, which refers to the mutual interaction and integration of information and biology. In particular, it investigates biological futures through biodigital technologies. This paper talks about bioethics, biopolitics, bioepistemologies, evo-ontologies, anything else that you can stick the word bio in front of, essentially, and make a Germanic uh, hybrid word. Uh, go for it. Bio anything. Um, bio literature, I don't know. COVID-19 revealed that despite 30 years of experience of reorganizing social life, blah, 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 most countries, indeed humanity as a whole, were unprepared for adopting and adapting to a digital way of life. So although we are so highly intertwined with being digital slash digital being, somehow we're not quite ready to take that leap. We need to be forced over through some sort of crisis, like, I don't know, COVID-19. Um, and then it goes on, of course, to talk about The Great Convergence. I did not make this title for this podcast up today all by myself. No, this is this is a thing that is swirling around in the, in the academic ether right now, where researchers are busily working on The Great Convergence. And they talk here about the notion of technological convergence has a strong application with the development of nanotechnology that implies a new techno-scientific th synthesis at the nano level. And it says the new convergences 2.0 and beyond are of a different order, suggesting a mega convergence of genomic and information science at the level of code, leading to the <gasps> nano bio info cogno paradigm which has been one of the new bases of the U.S. National Science Foundation in the last decade. In this context, we need a post-digital critical philosophy that examines the nature of these convergences and especially the convergence of information and genomic science at the nano-level, linking it to the techno-science, techno-politics, and techno-nationalism. A central point of critique in the critical philosophy of convergence is the political economy of post-biological technocracy, and its tendency to numb the biological self and create a kind of digital obedience where big tech, big tech platform ontologies know us better than we know ourselves. All right. Well, there is a lot of word smoothie going on here in this blender of uh, vocabulary, but nano bio info cogno paradigm certainly takes the cake. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue. We're, we're facing the nano bio info cogno industrial uh, complex, guys. You better get ready to fight the nano bio info cogno paradigm. Again, it doesn't exactly lend itself to uh, memification, but... Uh, the Great Convergence is at least a good title to put this under. The convergence of these various technologies at the nano level for essentially taking over our genome and replacing it with code. Um, they go on to, to quote uh, Craig Venter, speaking at my old alma mater there, uh, Trinity College, Dublin. We can digitize life and we generate life from the digital world. Just as the ribosome can convert the analog message in mRNA into a protein robot, it's becoming standard now in the world of science to convert digital code into protein viruses and cells. Scientists send digital code to each other instead of sending genes or proteins. There are several companies around the world that make their living by synthesizing genes for scientific labs. It's faster and cheaper to synthesize a gene than it is to clone it or even get it by Federal Express. Yay. 
Um, they, they continue going on about various things, germline gene therapy, which would allow the inserted gene to be passed to future generations and the potential problems that that might cause. And uh, we should not excuse any government scientific advisors funded by the public person bearing considerable social responsibility from providing cynical interpretations of data of questionable validity and drawn from a weak evidence base, all in order to justify further restrictions. You don't say. No, we should not excuse that. There's a lot of interesting stuff in here uh, in these regards. There's a lot of things to to consider. But uh, skipping down towards the conclusion where they, they wrap up by saying, the new knowledge of ecologies of the 21st century offer biodigitalism as a new evolutionary constellation that changes our understanding of causation, explanation, and history, while also defining a new biopolitics of identity, where the philosophy of race, class, gender, and intelligence meets genomics and information. Now, I will just note humorously note that this summarization, apparently this is the conclusion of this essay. It's funny because that particular twaddle is contained precisely in two places. In the abstract, where they talk about a new biopolitics, which brings the philosophy of race, class, gender, and intelligence into a compelling dialogue with genomics and information, is is in the abstract and in the conclusion and nowhere else. (laughs) I truly encourage you to read this article. They do not have anything at all to say about race, class, gender, and intelligence, at least not specifically. There is nothing whatsoever in here about that at all, but that is precisely the type of thing that researchers put in their abstracts and conclusions in order to get papers published. I mean, that that is the type of garbage nonsense you just have to put in your abstract to make sure it gets the grant funding and approval and, oh, this sounds like a good research project, and yes, we'll publish this paper. <laughs> but literally nothing, absolutely nothing in here about that. But anyway, that humorous note aside, this is not a humorous topic. This is biodigital philosophy, technological convergence, and post-digital knowledge ecologies, touching on all of the hot-button issues of our days, and how they all come together. Every bit of this, the COVID-19 hysteria is coming together with the nanobot transhumanist future, is coming together with the misinformation, disinformation, infodemic, we must do something to censor and squelch any voices we don't like out of this new post-digital knowledge ecology that is developing and through big tech ontologies that know us better than we know ourselves. Uh, It's insanity, but here it is. And I want you to be aware that this is being studied, discussed, researched. Grants are being funded for this. And all sorts of research is taking place right now, not only in the artsy-fartsy humanities that are talking in abstract philosophical ways about this, but actual research. And I will offer as a single case in point of this, although there is much, much more to say, but I will offer as one single data point on this trail. This, from Harvard Magazine from January, February 2011, virus-sized transistors. Imagine being able to signal an immune cell to generate antibodies that would fight bacteria or even cancer. That fictional possibility is now a step closer to reality with the development of a biocompatible transistor the size of a virus. Hyman professor of chemistry Charles Lieber and his colleagues used nanowires to create a transistor so small that it can be used to enter and probe cells without disrupting the intracellular machinery. These nanoscale semiconductor switches could even be used to enable two-way communication with individual cells. And they have the handy-dandy illustration here of what this this uh, this prototype looks like. And the nano uh, wire 
a constructed transistor that uh, the virus shaped transistor they were able to construct. And how does it work? Oh, they coated the hairpin nanowire with a fatty lipid layer, the same substance cell membranes are made of. And the device was easily pulled into the cell via membrane fusion, a process related to the one cells use to engulf viruses and bacteria. So it all works so well. They're using digital, they're creating digital constructs that mimic biological uh, constructs in various ways to make them essentially accepted into your biome and eventually incorporated into your genome through one process or another. At any rate, this was a decade ago. So we can imagine how much further things have progressed. And wouldn't you know it, Switching forward to 2021, lipids, the unsung COVID-19 vaccine component, get investment. Talking about how lipids are an unsung component in the two mRNA-based shots. To get the genetic material to its target cells, vaccine developers combine it with a mixture of several sophisticated lipids to form lipid nanoparticles, or LNPs. Yes, exactly. The fatty lipid layer that Charles Lieber and his researchers were pioneering for their virus-sized transistors a decade ago. And uh, in this article, they end up by noting, digital electronics are so powerful that they dominate our daily lives, Lieber points out. When scaled down, the difference between digital and living systems blurs so that you have an opportunity to do things that sound like science fiction, things that people have only dreamed about. I would say had nightmares about, but yeah, I suppose that's about right. Yes, when we start combining the biological and digital worlds, we're going to see things you could only dream about in your worst nightmares. Now, of course, this story, Charles Lieber, that name should ring a bell, I hope, to people who keep their eye on the news. Because, of course, you will recall in January of 2020, just before the whole hysteria kicked off, we had Harvard University professor and two Chinese nationals charged in three separate China-related cases, talking about how Dr. Charles Lieber, 60, chair of the Department of Chemistry and Chemical Biology at Harvard University, was arrested this morning and charged by criminal complaint with one count of making a material false fictitious and fraudulent statement, uh, along with a couple of Chinese nationals who were uh, charged as essentially um, conspirators in this case. And there's a lot of interesting um, information here about, of course, the Wuhan University of Technology and China's Thousand Talents plan to recruit high-level scientific thinkers and all of that sort of stuff. And this is a case that is ongoing and has taken some weird turns, but at this point, the latest I could find, anyway, Lieber prepares for impending trial on federal charges as he battles incurable cancer, because, of course, now he is dying of some form of lymphoma and uh, is uh, suing Harvard for not defending him enough during this trial and blah, blah, blah. And ultimately, he's been charged with uh, with tax evasion of one sort or another. So whatever, the story has become a mess. But this is the same Charles Lieber, by the way, who was working on these virus-sized transistors a decade ago and uh, pioneering the fatty lipid layers through which these nano devices can be implanted into our bodies, accepted into our cells in the exact same way the mRNA is now being the modified RNA, not just messenger RNA, no, the modified mod mRNA that is being used in these COVID-19 vaccines is coated with the lipid nanoparticles, which allow them to be accepted into the cells. So this all ties together, and I hope it is becoming apparent how this ties together, and the fact that, of course, of course, it should be absolutely evident by now that the biosecurity paradigm is precisely, exactly what these transhumanists who want to 
spearhead this great convergence need. It is the narrative to break down our bodily autonomy and our natural, inherent rejection of the idea. Why on earth would I be putting these nanobots into my system? Why on earth would I be implanting a brain chip or any of the other kind of absolute craziness that's being talked about here? Why would I do that? No, thank you. No, sorry. But wait, there's this viral pandemic and we all have to do our part or else you're a granny killer. Oh, okay. And so now you must take this new experimental vaccine. Anyway, here it is. It's a vaccine. It's like it's like any jab you've had in your life. Don't worry, just roll up your sleeve. Uh, when you get really sick, it means that it's working. Yeah, it does mean that it's working. It's just not working in the way that you believe it is intended to be working. Um, so, anyway, this, I, again, I cannot make it any clearer. The entire biosecurity paradigm is being used as the fulcrum through which they can leverage this insanity into the transhumanist convergence that is coming, that is already coming, is already being worked on. And so few people are understanding or pointing this out. So few people are connecting these dots right now that it is absolutely worth pointing out when people do connect those dots. Same study, nano-enabled COVID vaccines. It says right here, in addition to a brief description of the design features of unique cationic lipid and virus-mimicking nanoparticles, for accomplishing spike protein delivery. Virus mimicking nanoparticles? Come on, guys. Virus-sized transistors, who are we talking about? Charles Lieber and his colleagues used nanowires to create a transistor so small that it could be used to enter and probe cells without disrupting intracellular machinery. These nanoscale semiconductor switches could even be used to enable two-way communication with individual cells. Charles Lieber, the guy who was shuttled away in the beginning of this in regard to something with China, never really defined. They charged him with something small, even though there's big discussion about treason and, and that, where is he now? The leading scientist in the world making nano technology that mimicked viruses. And they shuttle him away right in the beginning of all this. And the idea that we're talking about the transistors, we just talked about this in regard to the idea of how these could be used to, in, to include transistors in regard to the lipid nanoparticles and the injections of these vaccines. This is all, this is not my opinion. This is more science that we're talking about that's new. So what this is showing you is that this is something very real. That this, and I, like I've been saying from the beginning, that his work is literally being discussed in the context of a COVID-19 injection to, to accompany the spike protein delivery. What do you know? There's something to this. And the spike protein delivery is what's hurting you, what's making it go into the brain, what's continuing to cause blood clots. And they're using virus mimicking nanoparticles. Is that not maybe what it is entirely? I don't know why this is not being discussed. This say if it's a virus mimicking nanoparticle, does it not make sense that that in and of itself could get out of control? I mean, good God. I mean, this is something that no one cares to talk about. Guys, this study is from 2021. This is from April 2021. Virus mimicking nanoparticles. It says at the bottom, finally, we consider that the impact of nano-enabled approaches in the development of COVID-19 vaccines for improved vaccine design against other infectious agents, including pathogens that may lead to future pandemics. Oh, you mean the, 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 the nano 
what they could, the, the platform, the Moderna platform, the mRNA platform. That's what they're talking about. Same thing. Everything's going, you will never hear about normal vaccines again outside of the ones they already have until they adapt those to be mRNA adaptable injections that I'm telling you, this is a direction they're taking under the guise that it's better for you. And are we, are we under the illusion that's been proven? None of these are even approved yet. And we're already just jumping in this direction. Why? Because this was always the plan. They told us 20 years ago. They told us eight years. They told us in 2014. They told us multiple times in this exact discussion. James Corbett's been screaming about this forever. Well, thank you to Ryan Christian for the shout out. And thank you for noticing that, yes, yes, I have been talking about this subject for years now, but evidently not screaming about it enough, not nearly enough, because it strikes me now especially seeing these jigsaw pieces falling into place, that we really are facing the extinction of Homo sapiens. Again, not hyperbole, not my framing of this matter, but the framing of official Government of Canada think tanks and others who are trying to portray this as a potential wonderful future that we can all enjoy together as the biological and digital realms are merged in the Great Convergence. It is happening. It is being talked about. It is being planned. It is already being engineered in various ways. And right now, we are witnessing the rollout of one part of this experiment as hundreds of millions of people around the world start to roll up their sleeves and accept the very first and early iterations of what can develop into these types of nanotechnologies through which they will hack the software of life. Again, if you can think of a more important topic to be concerned about in the long term, I'd be interested to hear it, but I think this really eclipses whatever flashy political story happens to be crossing through the news, news wires. And if you agree with me, I hope you will go to corbettreport.com convergence, where you will find the show notes for this episode, including, of course, all of the documents that I've talked about today, the videos that we've played, etc., so that you can start at least using this as the baseline and branching out from there, finding out more, see, seeing some of these researchers, what is being developed, how they are rolling it out. I think it is extremely important. Obviously, this is not one of those problems to which there is an easy and pat solution. There is no tiny list of people that if we could just get rid of them, then all of this would be derailed. That's comic book thinking. This is already a research agenda that is so far advanced that most people don't even know about that is happening all over the world in various research laboratories. And whether you know it or not, we're already well on the way towards this great convergence. And how can that be derailed? I unfortunately do not have the three-step plan. Um, and if you do, I'd be very interested to hear it. But in the meantime, it behooves us to know as much about this problem as we possibly can to even have the hope of developing some kind of counter to this agenda, some way of derailing what is barreling at us at 100 miles an hour, like a freight train, it is going to hit us very soon in the face. And uh, I think we need to at least understand, be able to define, be able to name the process that is happening right now and what is being done. Well, here's a good start. The Great Convergence. This is a term that is being used to describe what is happening right now. And I'd say 
well, it's in our best interest to know a little bit more about it. So as you can imagine, I'm going to be spending more time on this topic in the future, and I hope that you'll be part of that process, again, digging up information about these researchers and what they are working on. Please do leave uh, report back to headquarters, leave the comments uh, so that we can all work together to put together this cookie crumb trail and see where it leads. But on that note, I think we're going to end it here today. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Looking forward to talking to you again in the near future.